Hello, and welcome to the Community IT Innovators Technology Topics Podcast, where we discuss nonprofit technology, cybersecurity, tech project implementation, strategic planning, and nonprofit IT careers. Find us at communityit.com. Welcome. My name is Carolyn Woodard, and I am the Director of Outreach for Community IT. Thank you for joining us for part two of our series of discussions on high-tech and cutting-edge nonprofit technology. Today, our three senior experts will be discussing cyber, crypto, and blockchain. If you missed part one on virtual reality, you can find it if you subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. I'll let our experts introduce themselves and get right into the discussion. So my name is Johan Hammerstrom. I'm the CEO at Community IT. Um, so I'm happy to be here today with uh, with Steve. Steve, sure. you want to introduce yourself? Sure. I'm Steve Longenecker. I'm the Director of IT Consulting at Community IT. My name is Noura Abuki. I'm an IT Business Manager and a Senior Consultant at Community IT. Well, I'm, you know, I'm curious to hear about what Noura has been looking at lately in terms of new technology and, and, you know, specifically, you know, what some of the clients that he's been working with are, are looking at, like, what are some of the new things that a lot of nonprofits are starting to use that you maybe haven't, haven't seen before. So I'm, I'm curious to hear more about that. Uh, one of the trends we've seen is certainly the hybrid work environment. What is that? That is here to say, what is it going to look like? two years from now or next year? Is it going to be more remote access, more adoption of social media uh, tools, uh, faster connections, uh, virtual assistance? So those are the kind of things I basically researched on. And I have a few points that I would want to share in this conversation. So as a senior consultant, you work with many of our largest clients. And as you mentioned, helping them with roadmap development, and planning for the future. And I'm curious, like, what are you seeing now? Are there any new technologies or technology solutions that you've seen in the last year or two in the work that you do that are maybe new or that you were kind of surprised to see? Well, uh, in the past two years, we've been hit hard by the pandemic. We can't escape that fact. And that has really created the need for cloud adoption. Several nonprofit organizations have really invested in making sure that they have business continuity. And those investments are typically with uh, software as a service solution providers. Uh, uh, primarily, we've seen this across, let's say, um, Microsoft products, Google products. Uh, those are big players that we have seen clients moving from on premises. Uh, solutions that they would typically would have been using back when we were mostly in the office uh, to switch into using cloud-based uh, solution or software as a service. Uh, in addition to that, departments across nonprofit organizations, uh, especially uh, departments uh, that deal with people and culture, departments that deal with finance, are uh, also uh, investing in cloud-based software as a service uh, solutions. Uh, they are integrating their business processes with those uh, solutions. Um, now, two years after the pandemic or so, uh, we are seeing clients uh, thinking about going back into the office. And that 
has also uh, begged the question: What would be the office look? What would the office look like? Where you have people transitioning from being fully remote to having a sort of hybrid work environment. And uh, clients uh, have made some clients that are thinking of that hybrid environment have been making investments in ensuring there is fast connectivity in the office because they still want their uh, employees to have that hybrid experience where they're able to access uh, services remotely, as well as when they are in the office, that fast connectivity to access cloud services is there for them. So we are seeing uh, investments in increasing the bandwidth speeds. And that is also interesting because bandwidth used to be expensive. Now it's becoming cheaper and cheaper, more accessible. So even smaller nonprofits uh, have more options in selecting their uh, internet service uh, provider that will give them the most reliable, fast connections. Um, uh, just to touch on a little bit on specifics, a hybrid work environment uh, uh, investment would be something like, hey, we don't want to, we have a lease in the office. For instance, a client would say, well, we're going to have a lease on the office, but the office uh, furniture is not fully utilized or office space is not fully utilized. So there's that consideration of some clients saying, hey, let's bring in some subtenants, or maybe we should have a way of uh, having uh, applications uh, that will allow us for uh, hoteling some of the desks in the office or office space. So no one, no single employee uh, owns the space, but rather it's a shared uh, workspace. And that I think there's a heavy utility in that uh, kind of thinking and investment. So there are SaaS applications or software as a service applications out there tailored to providing efficient ways of using your office space. So that's, that's one specific uh, example that I could share. Mm. Yeah, I've seen something similar where I think at the start of the pandemic, we went from working at an office to working at home. And then as the pandemic has started to recede, it seems to me like organizations, especially larger organizations, aren't going back to working from the office. They're instead moving into this mode of working from anywhere where one day you might be working at home, the next day you might go into the office, but you might work at a desk that you reserve through a reservation system like the kind you're talking about. And then two days later, you might travel to another city to visit you know, another a customer or a client that you have in that city. And then the next day you come back and you work from home. And so the the work environment, especially the computing work environment, has to work from a variety of different locations, you know, and from a, a variety of different, and in a variety of different environments. And so um, that's something that requires um, not just a reliable laptop. You know, it's not just about having the laptop. It's, it's like you're saying, how do you connect to the internet from all of these different locations? And how do you reserve locations to work from and how do you work productively from those locations while also like connecting with people and other people in the organization and in other organizations who are also working from a wide range of different locations. So it's introduced, I think, more complexity in some ways into the work environment and 
you know, IT, as we know, one of the great strengths of IT is its ability to assist with managing complexity. And so having a solution that enables an organization to manage desk reservations at their office space is going gonna, is gonna to be effective. You know, those sorts of solutions are going to be important. That's exactly right. Uh, thank you, Johan, for really expanding on that. And uh, it presents complexity and uh, concerns in terms of security. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, investments in security has increased as well because the threat landscape is now broader and uh, wider. Uh, you know, we, we talked about people working from anywhere. So how mm-hmm. do you ensure that uh, their access to the network services uh, secure and not compromise. How do we? Uh, so, um, in my conversation with uh, leaders, uh, senior leaders at uh, non-profit organizations, they're asking questions about security. And uh, we uh, one of one of one element to it is how do we ensure our employees are educated enough? They are sort of aware of the threat landscape and the risk that uh, is out there, and. Uh, in particular, we are seeing uh, companies or clients sign up for security awareness training programs. And even if they have not been thinking about it, or they feel like, "Well, I am, I don't think you know, I'm no threat," <laughs> you know, my organization is just a volunteer for, for. We provide food to poor people. You know, that kind of mind tech, mindset and thinking is is still the organization can be at risk uh, because you may have personally uh, identifiable information uh, that they have on their database that can be hacked or theft of identity or they could be used as proxies. So uh, we've seen increased attacks in phishing attacks, spare phishing attacks, uh, fraudulent emails being sent, impersonation uh, of uh, employees. And for that reason, companies are investing in security awareness program. They feel the first line of defense is the employee. If the employee is able to detect social engineering uh, because they are probably sitting somewhere on a beach working from, uh, you know, you know, working remotely, they sh- they 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 are, they understand well trained and are aware of threats that may come their way. So that is another angle to the complexity that it adds more support, more complexity, but then indeed. Security uh, is also an area where CEOs and uh, executive directors, high-level staff are thinking about. Uh, would you agree that, uh, Johan, that you're also seeing that up and up increased investment in cybersecurity? I totally agree. I, I think there's a, uh, an increased and emerging awareness when it comes to cybersecurity. And I think what's, what's most interesting is that the that you have to up your cybersecurity game. It's not enough to have MFA anymore. You know, multi-factor authentication, which is something that a lot of organizations adopted over the course of the pandemic. I mean, I think there was a growing awareness that if my staff can log into their email from home or from anywhere, then uh, a hacker, a threat actor could log into our email from anywhere. And so there was a, an increased awareness that having multi-factor authentication was an important security protection to add. Now what we're seeing is that 
not all multi-factor authentication methods are created equal and not all MFA approaches to MFA are equally secure. And this became really clear with the Uber hack where they were able to basically access Uber's credential database, the database that had all of their security credentials. Even though it was protected through MFA, the hackers found a way to bypass that MFA because of how the MFA was implemented. So we're now, and it's cat and mouse, you know, every time you have a new uh, protection, um, people find ways to bypass it and then you need to make the protection stronger. So the code-based MFA, MFA where it's sending a code to your phone has been found to be fairly weak, especially when it comes to a determined threat actor who wants to hack into your system. And uh, more advanced um, implementations of MFA are being developed and deployed. And that's something that I think is, is going to be important for organizations to look at and to start implementing over the next few years. Excellent point. Thank you, Johan. Uh, I also think an, another, another area of, of security that's important is encryption. And I don't know, I know we've started to use um, both. I mean, I, disk level encryption is something that organizations have been doing for a while. I think it's something that also became, has become a lot more common in the last few years. Um, and then file level encryption is something that has started to be, uh, we've definitely started to use it more here at Community IT. I'm just curious if, if you've seen that in any of the organizations that you work with, or if you've seen any, any use cases where file level encryption would be beneficial. Yeah, uh, good question again, Yohan. I certainly uh, have seen encryption in some of our clients, and some of them uh, really collect a lot of information about their donors, uh, collect uh, information about their members, uh, and though that information can be personally identifiable information, social security perhaps, or credit card information address, something you can build a profile on. Uh, that is at risk or sensitive information that could be uh, at risk when it falls in the wrong hand. So uh, clients have asked uh, of a variety of ways to secure that data, whether it's uh, through uh, encryption at rest of the files uh, that are stored on either a cloud uh, files uh, storage solution, like uh, a variety of them are out there, quite frankly, that may, may that typically would have the uh, encryption at rest, or even they are concerned that if they are sharing information or sharing links, are these links secure? So they are concerned about the files in uh, encryption in, tra in transit. Uh, is it really happening? And how are, how can they be sure that no man of the middle attack or spoofing attack or some sort of a cyber attack can be launched to capture that data in transit? So uh, cloud providers are stepping in to ensure that uh, there is uh, encryption uh, in transit as well. Uh, now, uh, the disk encryption uh, that uh, you had mentioned, uh, which we're seeing device encryption, is uh, a no-brainer. Organizations that do have uh, users using mobile devices like laptops, for instance, they should really consider uh, 
uh, getting that is available within the operating system and can be easily implemented and deployed. So we advise uh, our clients to prioritize if they haven't disk uh, or device encryption uh, for all the laptops that they may have. And even for stationary devices, if it's a stationary device that is uh, likely going to have some sensitive information, disk encryption is important. And device encryption can be enabled as long as you have the right partner that has the right skill set to get that rolled out. Um, more as uh, clients use more of the cloud, then the cloud providers uh, need to provide some evidence of encryption, and they typically have whether it's uh, 256 uh, bit AES encryption uh, or it's uh, 128, they do have some level of encryption. Some organizations that do have compliance requirements, there may be some minimum requirements uh, to meet that compliance and they need to evaluate the uh, vendor that is providing those, uh, that storage uh, capability for their files in the cloud to ensure that their data is secure. There are some high security nonprofit organizations that are uh, really security conscious and they are worried that their data can be shared with some of the third party cloud providers. So they also need to closely evaluate to see how they can bring in their own encryption keys that they are the only ones that have the private keys to decrypt any data. And even the provider doesn't know what's there. It's encrypted. All they know is there are files on there stored by X client, but they can't really decrypt and read any of their data. So uh, there are levels, but that evaluation needs to be done uh, typically with an IT partner that actually has the experience uh, to provide that guidance. So switching gears a little bit, I wonder if any of your clients have asked you about blockchain or cryptocurrency. Is that something that you ever get asked about? Well, as I'm looking at uh, the data on my computer, we recently <laughs> experienced uh, some crypto, uh, you know, crypto exchange that actually went into trouble, and uh, so that excitement is there. The questions I typically get about crypto is: Is it possible for us to have a secure, clean way to accept donations? Mm-hmm. You know, so th- that is the fundamental uh, question: How are we going to raise funds? Uh, is crypto an option for us? And it's under consideration, I would say. I, I'm not aware of any of my clients that is uh, accepting crypto as a method of uh, providing donations. But the the confidence level that people had, uh, and it's, it's still there, it's just that recently the news hasn't been good for the crypto community. And so there's growing concern that who is a legitimate uh, regulated sort sort of regulated uh, crypto exchange provider where we accept donations uh, in crypto uh, currencies and we can convert it into fiat currencies uh, at the other end and use it for to fund our programs easily. Um, that's to the extent where I've seen those conversations uh, happen. But I know investments and are being made by the tech community to uh, to uh, provide solutions around blockchain uh, of transactions so they can easily be audited and know your customer, knowing where the source of the fund is coming from, who it's exchanged uh, with, and where the, how the transaction is done. Uh, the blockchain technology has so much potential in 
providing that transparency. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think blockchain is very interesting. Um, it, I don't know nearly enough about it to really weigh in on its technical merits. I do think that, like, for example, this, like, going back to the DocuSign example, where we sign documents with this weird, like, sort of grainy... Click, yeah. Well, um, it's the click that counts, but... It's but. the click, right, exactly. It's the click that counts. And and the click is verified by sort of this poor facsimile of a of a written signature. Right. You know? Right. Um if like this if the blockchain technology can create like some sort of like universal verification method where um a contract, like contracts seem like an area where there's that seem ripe for innovation. You know, if contract storage could be like centralized and done in a secure way, and there's a, a ledger that, you know, tracks all of the contracts that are getting signed in the world or something like that. Like that seems like an efficiency gain over what we have with DocuSign right now, which is, you know, like graphic facsimiles of, it's like the fax machine in some ways, right. like right. The, the DocuSign system. So I would assume that DocuSign is looking closely at blockchain and figuring out how can we innovate to the next level with all of this. Um, so I think, you know, I think it's important to separate blockchain, the technology from like cryptocurrency, the, the, I don't know. Um, what's financial, the financial boondoggle. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think there's like some, some, uh, you know, there's people who who are true believers when it comes to what crypto is supposed to be able to do mm-hmm. in terms of like global currency systems. Right, freeing, I freeing, think freeing us from from the nation state uh, uh, monopoly on on monetary yeah. systems right now. Yeah, no, I, I get that, and it's it's an interesting idea. Well, I think it's um, really naive, um, hmm. and I think you know, like human history and human behavior being what it is, like. Lo and behold, like a lot of cryptocurrencies are actually fraudulent and they're failing and they're crashing like every other right. new financial instrument that's ever been invented in the history of financial instruments. So I think it's easy to look at all that and say, well, it's a bunch of hype and it doesn't really, you know, it's just fraudulent. But I think behind the way in which this blockchain technology is being used, there could be a legitimate technology that you know in the hands of um companies it's going to be tech companies could end up being put to you know a a use that a lot of organizations find find helpful Thank you for joining us for part two of this discussion of high-tech and nonprofits. You can find parts one and three if you subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts or on YouTube or on our website. Get in touch with us on our website to suggest future topics you'd like us to talk about. Community IT does these free webinars and podcasts for our community, and we love sharing our knowledge and experience. If you have more questions or are having trouble with your IT at your nonprofit, please get in touch with us on our website, www.communityit.com, so we can start a conversation or schedule an assessment. 
Downloading any of our free resources there will get you signed up for our webinar reminders, and you can attend our next webinar in real time and ask our experts your own questions. If you love podcasts, please subscribe and leave us a rating to help others find this leadership resource for nonprofits.